Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. You guys ready to hear the word of the Lord today? Amen? Amen. Who's ready to hear the word of the Lord? Woo! That's why we're here together, to gather together, right? We're not here to talk about sports. We're not here to, to talk about the weather. We're not here to talk about, you know, what we did at our jobs. We're here to talk about Jesus and God's word. Amen? Praise be to God. So I want to start today's service off before we pray, before... You know, I welcome everybody. Well, first of all, welcome everybody from all over the world, wherever you're coming from. And welcome everybody here in my house. It's a privilege and an honor for me to be able to stand up in front of you and give you the Word of God this week, because I'm like your chef today. I've been preparing my meal from God, because the Bible says that we should devour the Word of God. It's, it's, and we need to ingest it. And, uh, you know, there's different times when God said, here, take, eat. And this is, you know, the Word and John and, you know, an Old Testament prophet. And so there's times in the Bible where the Word of God was even given to people so that they could eat it. So we're, think about it, we're eating the Word of God today. Yes. We're ingesting the Word of God today. Just not in our mouths, but in our souls. Imagine yourself, you're like a two-part person. You're a flesh person and you're a spirit person. Well, your flesh needs to eat daily. Well, so does your soul man. Your soul man needs to eat daily too. So I'm like your chef today and I've prepared a meal for everybody today. Praise be to God. In our meal today, we have a wonderful subject. But before that subject, and welcome everybody again, I want to wish all the moms out there happy Mother's Day. From Gospel Saving Church and Pastor Ed Spagnoli to all you, my own special wife and mom in the audience and all my lady friends in the audience all over the world. Happy Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day in America, whether it is in the rest of the country I don't, or the rest of the world, I don't know, but happy Mother's Day. I honor you, thank you, because without moms, there would be no children. And with no children, there'd be no human race. So God bless you, and praise be to God. I, I'm thankful to God for you. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll get to our teaching and reading of our Word of God, <clears throat> if you guys would please join me. Let's bless the word and bless our ears and ask for favor from the Lord that he would bestow upon us wisdom today. Lord, thank you for bringing us here, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you desire for man to know you. What a gracious and mighty and awesome God that you are, Lord. You, you could have just sat up in your heavenlies and you could have just left us alone. You could have just left us to die and rot and burn in hell. Every person on the planet, you could have just left us to die. And never come to us and never give us grace and never give us salvation and never give us hope or truth. But Lord, you didn't do that. Lord, you, you came and did all those things and then much more. You showed us your love for us by dying on the cross and, and offering us forgiveness of our sins. Lord, thank you so much for doing this, Lord, for us. Thank you so much. And Lord, we just, I just pray for all of us here today, even me included, Lord, that you would open up truth for us today, Lord that you would help us to know truth, Lord, the truth of your word. Lord, not everybody teaches the truth of your word anymore today, but Lord, I do. And Lord, I'm excited about your word and your truth because Lord, if I water it down or if I dilute it at all, then it's not the truth anymore. It's a lie. And so Lord, I just pray that we would all be edified today in your truth. And wherever we're at, Lord God, whether we know you or whether we're trying to know you or whether we don't know you at all, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw anybody and everybody that listens to this message all over the world into either a closer relationship with you or unto a relationship with you. Open our ears, Lord, that we would hear the truth today of your word. Open our ears, Lord. Jesus, you said, 
Those who have ears to hear, let him hear. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear today, Lord, that we'd be attentive to your word today. And not anything else, Lord, but just attentive to your word today. And may you be glorified in this place. I love you and we love you and we praise you. And we thank you and ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew 15, 29 through 31. Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 through 31. The name of our sermon today, He was ready in and out of season. So He, being Jesus, was ready in and out of season. So I'm going to read Matthew 15, 29 through 31, and we're going to talk about it. Join me. The Bible declares... Jesus departed from there, and you can add his disciples because we know the disciples were with him by the next section. So Jesus and his disciples departed from there, should be the region of Tyre and Sidon, skirted the Sea of Galilee and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So he was ready in and out of season. God, as I started to prepare this message this week, pointed out a very powerful point, a little aspect about Jesus Christ from last week's message that actually carries over into this week's message. And I didn't speak about it last week because God didn't bring it up to me last week, but I'm going to speak about it this week. What is this powerful aspect that God spoke of? I'll, I'll speak about it in a moment. But it's a powerful truth about Christ. And it's an aspect that shows us how much he really loves mankind. And God told me to focus on it this week. You see... The aspect of Christ's love is Jesus. You can read in his life, and then when you look at the New Testament as a whole, the Gospels, the Epistles, Revelation, the individual letters, so on and so forth, you, you can see all their writings. They, what they really did is they, they knew the Savior. They knew Christ, and they knew the way he lived. So what they did when they wrote their Epistles and their Gospels, and they, they, they wanted to you know, show people what it was like to really be with him. So in all the writings of the New Testament, they characterize Jesus Christ and his character and what he did when he came. So Paul was thinking about Jesus, I know he was, when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, where he tells Timothy, he encourages Timothy as his father in the Lord, you would say, because Timothy, I believe, came to know Christ through Paul. And he encourages Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2 where he says, preach the word, or you could say, minister the kingdom of God. He says, and he exhorts him, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Well, now we see as a whole, we've been going through the New Testament now for a while, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, and we could easily see that Christ took care of this first one, the in-season part, all the time. 
Remember, he was constantly going to synagogues. He was constantly going up onto the mountain and calling people to himself. He was constantly handling the in-season part. He was constantly going everywhere he went almost and drawing people to himself. You know, he knew when he did miracles that people were going to naturally be drawn to him because he's a miracle worker. I mean, for crying out loud, you know, who doesn't want to see a miracle? I, I love miracles. God does them in my life almost every day. But who wouldn't want to see the one that laid their hands on someone's eyes and made them see and raised the dead to life and made the lame to walk? Who would want to see that? So Christ did these things to draw attention to himself. Because remember, the New Testament as a whole says it's all about Christ. That's how we come to God. So Christ took care of the in-season part. He preached the word in-season all the time. He preached the word. He was always ready and he was always going places specifically to preach the word. That's what he did. He did this, like I just said, going into synagogues, going here, going there, beckoning people to himself. What he did was he really made evangelism a lifestyle. He made evangelism a lifestyle. He got that part down, and we see that all over the place. But what about the out-of-season stuff? Did Jesus have out-of-season things, out-of-season times? Well, our focus today is not going to be so much about the in-season. It's going to be how he was ready out of season to preach the word, or you could say bring, you know, minister the kingdom of God to people. And how he was ready to do it at the drop of a hat. He was always ready to do it, no matter what situation, no matter when the situation came, even when the situation wasn't right, out of season. So, where do we see out of season from last week's message? Well, remember Matthew 15, 1 and how we went over to Mark 7. It was a parallel scripture. Now I'm going to read it again for you really quick. Matthew 15, 1, the Bible says, then the, then the scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, I messed up. Excuse me. Matthew 15, 21. Excuse me. I apologize. My mistake. Matthew 15, 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And remember, we talked about that last week, how in Mark 7, it talked about how he didn't want anybody to know he was in the house. And why would he do that? Why would he not anyone, want anyone to know that he was in the house? Well, because he wanted to be alone. He wanted to be out of season. He needed a break from the multitudes. He needed a rest. And then remember what happened? The persistent Gentile woman comes to him and she keeps nagging him. Nagging, 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 nagging. Like a contentious wife in a house or like a slow drip from a faucet, you know, when you're trying to sleep. Drip, 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 drip. It's just nag. It's a nag. It's a nag. And he, he just responded to her. He couldn't, couldn't help it because she just was so persistent. And she had so much faith in that Jesus responds to persistence and he responds to faith. That's God for you. He honors when we come and we keep coming. He honors it. But remember, he really needed that rest badly. I mean, this spans back all the way back from when, you know, he, he, he went to be alone and all the multitudes came and he fed the 5,000 plus women and children up to, he could have been 15, 25,000 people. And he hadn't had a break, really. The disciples went, you know, on the sea, remember, and they were fighting the sea and he comes down and he walks toward them and they call him onto the boat and the whole thing. Jesus is patient with, you know, with sinners and all that, that sermon that I taught. And then this break goes back. We don't see him getting a break, a rest. Since way before that, since his little bit of mountain time that he had where he was praying, 
right before he came walking on the, on the, the sea toward the disciples. The man did not get a lot of rest. So back there in Matthew 15, 21 and Mark 7, we read that he needed a rest. And he wanted a rest. It was his right, really. I mean, he deserved it. He was constantly working for God. I mean, for crying out loud, man needed a, needed a break. Could you work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with nonstop for six months in a row? No, we couldn't. We'd, we'd explode. But the only way Christ was able to do it is because he was the God-man. But he really needed that break. He really, really needed the rest badly. And you could say, in a sense, God showed it to me this way, that the Gentile woman ruined his vacation. He really went away to Tyronside and to take a vacation, to get away from the multitude, just, just a short one. And think about vacations. You get your heart set on them. You start, oh man, and you're anticipating them. We're, we're going on vacation here in June as a family. We're going up north and, and I'm, I'm around, oh man, that will be so nice to just get away from the everyday, you know, and the work everyday, just get away. And I'm, you know, and you think about vacation and it's like, yeah, just to get away. So Jesus, I need some rest. Ah, I'm going to get away and tire and side and there's no Jewish people there and I'm going to go and I'm going to get away from the multitudes and I'm going to be left alone. I'm going to be able to rest. Well, put yourself in his situation. Think of yourself about ready to go on vacation. Been working five, six, seven days a week and your job's, you know, getting after you and you, you just had, and then your family when you come home and then problems when you come home and you've got all these issues in them, but you just want to get away. And you set your heart and I just, man, that special dinner with your wife one night. Just get out and go be all by yourself and not have anybody hounding you, just you and her. You know, to get away to a secluded place. And you know, guys, they like to go fishing for that reason. Just get out on the lake and just go fishing. And nobody but the guy and the fish hunting, same thing. Go and sit in a little hut and you just sit there and you just wait for the deer to come. You just relax. Not hounding, not the TV, not the radio, your cell phone, you're in the boonies, so your cell phone don't even work. You just get away, you just want to get, and you start thinking about, oh, my heart, oh, I can't wait until I'm able to go get that rest. Put yourself in, in that situation. And I know there's times when we've all had those types of situations where we wanted to just be alone, you know, just get away from everything and everybody. And think about that. Now ask yourself, in the midst of that peace that you were waiting for, for who knows, maybe weeks, and all of a sudden, people that you never even knew were there, they find you, and then they nag you, and then they hound you, and then they're like, wait, but you got to, no, but you got to help me. I, I need help here, and I need help. You're like, whoa, wait a minute. What happened to my rest? I just needed to be away. I just, just wanted to get away. I just wanted to rest. Please, why is this? Don't people ever leave me alone? Well, now you can see and feel even how maybe Jesus felt when he was trying to get away. And then this Gentile woman came to him. And then she kept nagging him and nagging him and nagging him and the slow drip and the nan. He just wanted to be alone in the house and just rest and get away from everybody. But remember, remember how he acted. Remember what he did. He didn't get angry with her. He didn't lash out at her. He didn't get frustrated. He loved her. And he cared for her. And although he didn't respond to her right away, he didn't command her to get away either. He could have commanded her, like I talked about last week, like the devil. Be gone from me. Get out of here. 
and made his disciples cast her out. They were basically his servants, his ministers, but he didn't. He had patience with her. He loved her. And, he, and then after she showed her persistence and her true faith, as she kept coming to him, he answered her requests. Wow. My attitude in the past, I've had things like this happen to me. And my family has been with me has had times like this happen to me. And let me just tell you, it's not an easy time to be positive and loving when you want to rest and you get away and you expect this rest and then you have some problems and these things happen to you and there's just all kinds of issues. And it's not a very good, positive time. It's really easy to get into this type of situation and get angry and get resentful and get mean and all oh, these people just want to leave me alone. I just want to be alone. And you, I, you know, in the past, unfortunately, I have thrown temper tantrums even at my older age. It's not fair. Why is all these people just, I just, I just wanted to get away? It's not fair. Whining like a little baby. It's not easy. To be positive when the situation that Jesus went through, when you go through something like that. But yet, again, Christ, so patient, so loving, so kind. I, on the other hand, had to repent because I sinned and I realized it was a sin and I knew I was wrong and I had to get right with God because it's not right to complain and, and cry and whine because the Bible speaks against that. It's not godly. But in this situation here with the Gentile woman, I say it again. Christ embodied the second part of Paul's charge in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word, or again, minister the kingdom of God. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. And in case you're wondering, I didn't bring this up yet, but in season means when I'm ready. And we go out almost every Friday night, and we're ready to go preach the gospel. And we're ready for inconveniences to come. And we're ready for problems to come. That's in season. In season preaching the word, that's no problem. You're prepared. You got your mind set right. You're like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. And that's all I'm doing this whole night. Bam, I'm going to do that. You set your face. You set your mind. In season, no problem hardly. But he, he fulfilled the second part of what Paul told Timothy. Be ready to preach and exhort and talk to people about God even when you're not ready. Even out of season. Even when you're out, you're alone, you just want to be, you just, your mind, your mind's thinking about this. Your mind's thinking about that. I just need a break from the ministry. I just need a break from this. Out of season. He was ready all the time. In a moment, this Gentile woman changed and messed up his plans. His whole time away. She completely destroyed it, messing up the whole peace that he had. Yet he was still prepared to minister to her. He still was ready to tell her about God and about God's kingdom. He was prepared, even out of season. And remember, he didn't get angry. He didn't get revengeful. He didn't get resentful. He was ready, out of season. When these times came, he practiced Proverbs 29.20. Because I'll get to this, how he did this. And then it'll be a good example for how we could do it too. He practiced Proverbs 29.20. Solomon writes, do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. What's Solomon saying? Hasty in your words. You just, you just say anything whenever. He held his tongue even though... This woman I know was an annoyance to him. I know she was. 
James 1.19, so then James exhorts, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. What happens is, is how he did this was when you're in this situation and you're, you're on your own and you're in a different mind, mindset and people come to you and they hound you or they, they do something and you're not ready, is what you do is you, you hold it in. When they come and they make you angry, maybe they made you angry, but be slow to speak and slow to wrath and think and meditate. Take a deep breath and don't respond the very first way that your flesh wants to. Because temptation will come. And I'm sure Jesus was even feeling, in certain ways, resentful toward this woman. I'm sure he was feeling like he had some, you know, some, this woman, she's, why, why did she have to come and bother me? But notice he didn't say anything. I think that's another reason why he didn't say anything the first three times he came to him. Just, nope, not going to say anything. Oh, Lord, dear God, I know this woman needs to be loved. I know, he know, I know he needs, she needs to hear about you. So he was slow to speak. We need to be slow to speak. When times come, when bad things come, when bad things happen, and our minds aren't set on preaching the gospel, and then things hit us, things happen, do not react with your first reaction. But breathe and pray and hold your first fleshly reaction. Then you can speak composed and prayed up and able to be rational. And then, as we saw Jesus do, then you can preach and minister God's kingdom to others and not be evil and not be disrespectful to them. Then you can do that. Christ showed us this, Christ showed us with this woman from Matthew 15, 21, that he held others' eternal destinations in higher regard than the desires and needs of his own life. He needed rest. He needed relaxation. He needed sleep. And yet he considered this woman and her needs more important than his own needs. He was ready in and out of season, even when times were not right for him. Jesus was master of this kind of out-of-season stuff and always ready to preach and minister God's kingdom. No matter when the situation came or no matter what situation came, he was always ready in and out of season. So earlier, I gave you guys at the beginning of the sermon, I gave you guys a map. A map of the, of the land of Israel and surrounding areas at the time that Jesus lived. And Online, I'm about to show you a map online. I'm about to show you some points that I'm going to make because I, the reason I, I'm going to do this, we actually get to see another chance that Jesus got to, pack, to practice the second half of 2 Timothy 4.2 in today's scripture. You say, but where, Pastor Ed? I, I, I don't see where. I mean, we read it over once. I, I don't really see a time when Jesus got to, you know, Practice 2 Timothy 4.2 here where, you know, be ready in and out of season. But it's not very plain, I will add. It's not very plain, but it, it is there. God got me to digging, and I found this beautiful gem, this little treasure of today's scripture. So I'm going to back up again and paint our last picture again one, one quick time, and then we'll roll into how it relates with this one 
here. So remember, Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon to get some rest, but is unsuccessful because of his vacation is ruined because of the Gentile woman. He doesn't get mad or angry because she interrupts his rest time. Instead, he heals this woman's daughter. He fulfills her request, and he helps her to know God. And then, verse 29. Jesus departed from there. Read it with me if you want, Matthew 15, 29. Jesus departed from there, remember, from the land of Tyre and Sidon, from the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he skirted the Sea of Galilee and went up onto the mountain and sat down there. We say, Pastor Ed, where? Where? Where, where is this opportunity that he got to you know, be ready out of season? It, it just reads that he left Tyre and Sidon and he went up and he sat on a mountain. Where? where? We don't, I don't see that, Pastor Ed. I'll ask you to be patient, because it's there. It's pretty awesome, but it's there. He actually gets another chance to minister the Word of God out of season. I'll show you. Our first clue that lets us know this, our very first clue that shows us a little insight to this, is a little section in Mark, Mark 7.31, which is a parallel gospel. In this, Mark 7 is a parallel account of what Christ went through in Matthew, or in Matthew 15, in Mark 7. And Mark 7.31, in this parallel section of Scripture, Mark says in 7.31, about this same time, listen here, listen up, again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon. So we have the same thing. He came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Notice he didn't come to the Sea of Galilee until he went through the region of Decapolis. In Mark 7. Again, he departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. That gives us a little insight to where Christ was able to preach the word out of season. We find this little nugget in the geography of both sections of Scripture. We find that Christ wanted some, some time out, some out-of-season time, and I'll explain. So look at your map with me. I'm going to pull up my map. It's going to be on our video, so you can look at your map. Let's look at your map. On your map, there the circle where the X is. That's where Jesus and his disciples were. That's where they met the Syrophoenician woman from last week's Matthew 15, 21. That little big circle with the X there, okay? Then you have two little routes, because there could have been two routes. Because of Mark's account, and when we add Matthew's account together, I'm going to read them over one more time. Matthew 15, 29, Jesus departed from there. We know that's Tyre and Sidon. He skirted the Sea of Galilee, which tells us that he went along, he went along the kind of the coast of the Sea of Galilee, and went up to the mountain and sat down there. And then Mark 7.31, listen again. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. What does that tell us? That tells us that from where he was, and you can see where your ex is, Tyre and Sidon, how he, how he get to the Decapolis would, be, would have just to been to go straight, which would be the most direct route. He could have just traveled this direct route right from Tyre and Sidon right through the center where he was and then just kind of skirted the sea and then went to the other side of Decapolis. But Mark tells us that he went through the region of Decapolis first before he came to the Sea of Galilee. So what do we see here? What do we see here? 
we see my two routes, which you'll see on, on right here before you. My two routes, we have one route that goes through all to the top. He goes right from the region of Tyre and Sidon. That could be the first route. He goes all the way across. Notice missing the land of Israel and then coming into the region of Decapolis, which you see there at the bottom of your screen there. And then it brings him around to where he skirts the Sea of Galilee. That's the first one that's on the top, going through the providence of Syria, going through Peria, uh, Ulatha, and then the Tetrarch of, Tetrarchy of Philip, and all the way through Decapolis and then to the Sea of Galilee. Because, see, he had to go through the Decapolis first before he came to the Sea of Galilee, because Mark 7.31 tells us that. Or a more common route could have been he could have skirted the ocean, the Mediterranean Sea, all the way down to the bottom there into Gita and Guinea and then through Decapolis there and then skirted the Sea of Galilee until he came to a mountain that was right there on the Decapolis side on a mountain there, but not going through the land of Israel. See, what he was doing was, we see there because of Mark's gospel and Matthew, the account there, is he was traveling outside the land of Israel, being as that he had to come through the Decapolis region first and then skirted the Sea of Galilee. He had to go, he was, what he was doing was he was traveling outside the land of Israel on foreign soil to go to this mountain in the region of Decapolis and to sit down on this mountain. So why, you say, why would he go all the way around Israel when his personal ministry was not to Gentiles? Because he traveled through Gentile regions, not the land of Israel, to go to a mountain on foreign soil and then sit down. Because like I said, he was ready out of season. This was Christ's second attempt to get some much needed rest. He drew so much attention in Israel, everywhere he went in the land of Israel, mobs followed him. So he was trying to stay out of Israel along the outskirts on the foreign lands to come to Decapolis, like he had originally gone to Tyre and Sidon, so he could get some rest. He was trying, you would say in our today's terminology, he was trying to be off the radar. He was trying to be gone, like disappear. Foreign soil, remember I said last week, foreign soil was the only place that he could have ever had a hope of not being mobbed by people that knew what he was doing. And so he was traveling on foreign soil, went to a foreign land to go sit down on a mountain so he could try to get some rests again. This would be a time when Jesus wanted to be out of season. It was not a good time for people to come to him because he was trying to get more rest again. So, how do we see that that's out of season time? How do we see that he was ready? Did his second attempt work to get some rest? Did his second attempt work to get off the radar? Read Matthew 15, 30. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. People would find him in whatever area that he went through, but that didn't stop him from trying to get the rest that he needed. We read about a time in the boat when he's crossing over 
the Sea of Galilee in a boat with his disciples, and there's a huge storm, and there's a raging storm outside, and the boat's being rocked to and fro. And what do we find? We find Jesus in the in the, in the in the inside of the boat, and he's resting, he's sleeping, and his disciples come and they shake him. Jesus, can't you, you know we're, we're, we're perishing? He's sleeping. How do you sleep in a boat in a storm when everybody thinks they're going to die? It's because he was so exhausted. He never got a chance to rest. So how do we see that Christ was ready out of season to preach and minister God's kingdom to these people? Look at again how he handled the multitudes in verse 30. He healed them all. They came to him. He wanted to be off the radar. He wanted to be away to get rest again like when he went to Tyre and Sidon. And yet the multitudes were all brought to him again. And yet he healed them all. He did all that he did. He took those paths specifically so that he could stay away from the people that would be attracted to his ministry. You think that's cruel, but again, he, it, he just needed a break. He did all that he did to travel through these foreign lands to stay away from where people knew him for a reason. He was probably really thinking about another time he could rest. A mountain in a foreign land. I mean, I, nobody's going to be on a mountain in a foreign land, certainly. I can go there and I can get away. I can go there and I can rest. This was not a good time for people to come to him because he probably, again, had his heart set on this. The whole time he's traveling, just talking with his disciples, he's probably thinking, wow, I just can't wait to get to that mountain and just sit back and just relax and just be ministered to and just, you know, just chill out and, and so on and so forth. But yet he lived such a sacrificial, loving life. And he cared about people's eternal destiny so much that even though it wasn't a good time and it was an out-of-season time for him, he ministered God's kingdom to these people anyway. Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Savior. Do you see the love? He's so wonderful. He's so loving. He's so kind. He lives such a sac sacrificial life. For people, we're Gentiles in this room here, whether anybody listening online is a Jew or a Gentile, most likely you're a Gentile. He lived even though he didn't have any, want anything to do with us in his life ministry, in his earthly ministry. He still sacrificed himself for just all peoples, and he lived such a sacrificial and loving life. Now, you might be asking yourself, but wait a minute, Pastor Ed, didn't we talk about this whole thing with the woman from last week and how she came to him and he didn't want to heal her because, you know, she wasn't an Israelite, she wasn't a Jewish person? Well, you just said this region of Decapolis was a foreign land. How, how is it that he healed these multitudes in a foreign land and, and yet he wouldn't help the, the lady, that you know, the Syrophoenician woman, you know, from you know, the Tyre and Sidon when she came to him? Well, that's a very good question. If you're asking that, here's your answer, because I, I couldn't just leave this out because it was important. Well, the region of the Decapolis was 10 cities that were just on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in a non-Israeli area, a non-Jewish area. But because it only being right across the Sea of Galilee, many Jews had immigrated there to go live. So there were a lot of Jews that lived in the region of Decapolis that were not Gentile, but they weren't, uh, you know, they had kind of broken away from, you know, the Jewish way of living because every real Jew lived 
Every Jew that was, you know, concerned and worshiping their, you know, their religion and their God and everything lived in Israel. And only those that really weren't concerned, they weren't really serious, they'd move out and they'd move away and they'd live in foreign lands, which God didn't want them to do initially. He wanted them to be together in one land as one people. So these people really weren't, I mean, they were Jews. There were a lot of Jews there, but they weren't devout Jews, you'd say. So yes, there were a lot of Jews. And these people that came to him, somehow, of course, they were Jewish people, and that even though they weren't devout, they still heard the things that Jesus was doing, and so they came to him. Now, did, did him being ready in and out of season help people come to know God? Because this is important for us today. Is, could our being ready in and out of season to preach God's word and to preach the kingdom of God help others come to God? Read verse 31. What happened as a result of him being ready out of season? So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they did what? They glorified the God of Israel. So him being ready out of season helped people come to know God. Him not being selfish. His love for mankind, he had such a love for mankind that he didn't let his own personal, well-deserved needs and desires stop him from serving God and practicing or and preaching the word of God and helping people come to know God, even when he was out of season and he wasn't ready to preach God's word to people. So praise be to God that even him being out ready, no matter when, helped people come to know God. What an awesome characteristic of the love of Christ that we got to see today in our two sections of scripture that we glanced over. One that we glanced over last week's and two we would really there, you know, this is a absolute amazing, just amazing. Just look at the love of Christ that he wasn't ready and yet he still just and you're going to see even greater aspect of it next week as we look at, as we see just even in the very first verse of our next week's section of Scripture, that he was with them for three days. They continued with them for three days. It wasn't like they came to him and, and an hour later he got them all done. This was, he was there for a while with them. So his love even extended to these people more than just, just a little amount of time. They were with him for three days. So what an awesome characteristic of the love of Christ that we got to see of him being ready in, and even the greater love of Christ, him being ready out of season. When he wasn't wanting to minister to people, he wanted a break. Yet when people came, he had the patience and love that, it, that was needed for him to do what was needed to be done, to be concerned about people and, you know, and their eternal destinations. So I have a point today, you'd say a challenge for Christians in my audience that are listening all over the world, wherever you are. A focus of your own life this week for Christ. Well, the Bible says that a Christian is a follower of Christ. That means if someone claims to be a Christian, that means that they are really, in a sense, working at their lives, working at imitating the way that Jesus Christ, their master, supposed master, did things. Well, I have a question for Christians today that are listening. Are you focusing your life, 
on preaching God's kingdom, preaching God's word, both in and out of season. Are you? This was a lifestyle that Jesus lived. He just didn't put this in a box. He was ready in and out of season. He had purposeful times that he went out, but he also had times when he went out just to rest, and then people came, and look what he did. He ministered God and his kingdom to people even when he wasn't ready. Jesus, again, like I said in the beginning, made evangelism a lifestyle. He didn't just turn it on and off. He made evangelism a lifestyle, being ready at all times no matter what. Are you living this kind of lifestyle in your own life if you're claiming to be a follower of Christ? Are you following Jesus Christ in this way? Let me ask you, do you consider other people's eternal destinies more important than your own personal needs and desires and wants? Because... Jesus did. So look at and examine your life right now. Where would you say you hold the importance of preaching God's word in your life? Is it something you never do? Is it something you only do uh, once in a very great while? Or is it something that you're ready to do all the time? Because unless you're ready and you're actively doing what Christ did then you need to repent because Jesus made this a lifestyle. Jesus made the, the proclamation of himself and God's kingdom and the gospel a priority in his life. And we, as we read today, both in, when he was ready, when times were perfect, when times were great, in season and out of season. Because like I said, if that's not you, then we're, we're trying to be like Christ if we're Christians. If we've truly surrendered our lives to Jesus, then we're working on our lives of being like him. Remember, Jesus told the disciples when he said he's Matthew, I believe it was Matthew and his brother, or I'm sorry, Peter and uh, his brother and James and John, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is, where some, this is where God is taking every real Christian to be fishers of men. That is not, of course, throwing out a hook of real fish and bait onto the ground and hoping people go up and walk up and take it, but it is being fisher of men, trying to fish for men's souls, trying to tell them about the good news that you came to find out however many years ago or days ago that would have been. So I challenge you this week... Will you start to make what Christ did here a foremost aspect of your walks with him? That's a challenge for me and for you. Because I'm not going to say that's easy. But it causes you having to put down your flesh and make the things and your desires and your wants and your needs less important than others coming to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what it entails doing. And Jesus said, those that desire to follow after me must deny self, pick up cross, and follow after me. So one thing Jesus even expected of someone that would come to follow him was that we'd have to deny ourselves. Our natural self wants to, tend, wants to naturally not get in conflict with people. Not tell others about you know, Jesus because that kind of raises people's hairs. 
Our natural self wants to just have peace and, and just, you know, love. And, you know, in a sense, and I'll be honest, wants to be lazy. But that is not the life that Christ called us to. That is not the life that we saw Christ live. He lived a life of self-sacrifice. He lived a life of putting others' needs and wants and desires above his own needs and wants and desires. And if anybody needed the things that Jesus needed that he was going for, it would have been him. He didn't do anything in excess except for preach God's word. He wasn't a glutton and he wasn't a wine bibber and he wasn't a, you know, a, he didn't sin. So he lived his life sold out to God. And that's what he expects of us. I want you to meditate on this one as you go about your week this week. Jesus says in Matthew or in John, excuse me, 15, 13, and 14, he says, the Bible declares, and Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And then he goes on to say, You are my friends if you do whatever I command. Well, go ye therefore and preach the gospel to every creature is a command that Christ gave in a couple different gospels. Are you going forth and preaching God's word and following his command and being his friend? He said, you're a friend if you do whatever I command. So think about that. Do you want to be God's friend and do a command of Christ or do you not want to be his friend? He expects his children to do the things that he said, this is what I want you to do. This is how I live. Follow my example. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow after me. Will you make God's word, getting it out to people, a priority this week in your life for others, putting others' needs and wants and desires above your own? Or are you going to go this week and live a selfish week and not do that? That's the challenge that I give to you, anybody that professes to be a Christian that's listening to me today. I challenge you with that. Now, you may be saying, Pastor Ed, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a believer. I, I mean, I'm listening to your sermon and I'm, I'm here, but, I, you know, I understand what you're saying and everything. You know what? I'm not going to preach the gospel because I'm not even a believer. I, you know, I, yeah, God, I, I believe in God, you know, and you know, Jesus, and I, and I believe, you know, but you know, I'm just not a follower. I'm not a Christian. I wouldn't classify myself as that. I'm not a sold out child of God. To you, I would say, who are listening to this message, wherever you are all over the world, who would not consider yourself saved or a Christian, and I want to ask you to look at something as you're heard me speak this whole time, <clears throat> as I spoke earlier. Did you see the love of Christ in the two sections that we studied today for you? He cared so much about the people that came to him that he disregarded his own personal needs, wants, and desires to minister to their needs and wants and desires. And I ask you, ask yourself this, have you ever known love this great? And you may say, yeah, yes, Pastor Ed, I do. My mother loved me that way. My father loved me that way. My, you know, my mom died when I was little, and I had a grandma that took care of me exactly like what you're saying right there. Oh, okay, I, I concede to that point. Maybe your family members loved you this way, but this one's going to blow you away. 
Remember John 15, 14, we just read it. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So my friend out there who's listening, that's not a believer, that's not a Christian, but you've known his kind of love from your family. Jesus just said that you're only his friend if you do whatever he says. You're only God's friend if you've surrendered to God in Christ, which makes you, if you're not with him, you're against him. That makes you, by your own desire, by your own want, his enemy. So now, you know that kind of love from a non-enemy, from a family member from a, a, a dear aunt or a grandmother that took care of you because you know, your mom died or whatever the case may be. You know that kind of love from them. But have you ever known that kind of love from somebody who is your enemy? From somebody who you've made your enemy? These people we looked at today, especially the Gentile woman from Matthew 15, uh, 15, 21, were not his friends. They were not obeying God in their lives. The woman that came to him in the land of Tyre and Sidon last week, she was a Syrophoenician woman. She was from Syria and Phoenicia. And she had a child who was deemed possessed. Well, I didn't get to it last week. It didn't pertain. But that, what she really was, was she was a Greek and she worshipped false gods. Multitudes of false gods. And it's really how her child got demon-possessed because she was a worshiper of demon gods. So she wasn't a friend of God. And these Jews living in this region of Decapolis, going against God's charge to only be with the children of Israel, to live all together, they weren't God's friends either. And yet, Christ sacrificed his personal time for his, own, for his enemies, those that would have considered themselves his enemies, or whether they knew it or not, they were his enemies. And he ministered the kingdom of God to them because of his love for all humanity. And he still has this love for you, who aren't his friend today, for all humanity, for anybody that's even his enemy. If you've not come to him and you're not following him and you've not made yourself, you've made yourself his enemy. Yet he still loves you with a dying love. Romans 5, 6 through 8, I'll close with this. For when we, or you could say, put yourself in there, not follower, not surrendered to Christ. For when we, or you, were still without strength in due time, Christ, the one you've made your enemy. Christ died for the ungodly. That would be you because you've made him your enemy. It makes you ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man would someone even dare to die. But God, or slash Christ, demonstrates his own love toward us, or you could say you again, the one that's not following, the one that's not surrendered, the one that's you've made Christ your enemy. He demonstrates his own love towards you in that while we, you, were still sinners, our sinners now, Christ died for us. Showing his love for you. That's love. 
Because you may have been loved that way from someone that had a reason to love you. But in a sense, since you've made God your enemy, God by right has no, doesn't even have to have a reason to love you. You are his enemy. Yet, Christ in due time came and died for your sins so that you could make atonement for your sins through his blood and come to God and be forgiven of your sins and become a friend of God even while you've made him your enemy. He still loves you like that. They've never in your whole life known a love that great at all. And on top of it all, he's still reaching out to you through me even right now as you're listening to this message. He's drawing you right now to Christ, even though you've made God your enemy by your own choices. So I ask, nobody's ever going to love you like that. Nobody in this earth that you've ever known or that you ever will know will love you this much as Christ Jesus loves you that way this very day. Will you come to him? Will you come to him right now? He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. and You will find rest for your souls. Come to him, please. He loves you and he's calling out to you right now. Come to him, please, right now. You'll never know a love greater than this. And he'll love you like he loves you like that today. When you receive it, he loves you. The love just grows stronger and stronger and stronger till the day you die, and then you go be with go go be with go to be with him in heaven forever. Come to God. Come to Christ. He loves you so much. If you join me in prayer, please, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. For greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends, Lord. And Lord, you, you want everybody to be your friend. You want everybody to be your friend. Your desire and your word says you desire none to perish and all to come to repentance. So Lord, I pray that any listening out there that are not yours, Lord God, I pray that they would just meditate on how much you love them. And I pray, dear God, that Lord, they would respond to that love today. They would respond to your grace today, to your mercy today, that while they have made themselves your enemy, or while they have made you, excuse me, Lord, their enemy, you still love them with an undying love, and you're calling out to them. I pray that they would come today, Lord, and that they would surrender to you. And Lord, I pray for the Christians out there listening, Lord, that they would follow, that I, Lord, you'd give us the strength this week to follow in your example of selfless love, unselfish love, not holding your own, Lord, not holding their own personal wants and desires and needs above other people's greatest need to hear about the greatest love that there has ever been for mankind. Jesus Christ, Lord. Please, Lord, break our hearts, Lord, to live like you. Conform us, Lord, I pray, to your very image and to do the things that you did and to obey the things which you said. I love you and I praise you and I thank you, dear God. 
And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.